I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, so you're saying that if I... Stop. Pull out my cock, I can push rope into the touch hole? (laughs) (laughs) Ah! Is that what you're saying, darling? Are you saying that if I do that, then I'll explode? Welcome to Dungeon Deep Dive. It's another episode in our new year. Uh, we've got our new host again with us. It's me. It's Grace Shadell. Uh, my name's Tully Grimley. And to my right is... Nobody. Lachlan Hoy is not in the building. I'm not here. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, in case this is your first episode, uh, we are a fantasy world building podcast where we do a deep dive every week on a different aspect of the fantasy world uh, and take a look at different uh, facets of it. Make sure it's nice and well researched so that you can get the tone of your world right and make every single little thing interesting. Yeah, kind of, kind of the the overarching kind of premise of the show is just like recognizing that everything that we take for granted as like parts of these settings and as parts of our world, more broadly speaking, were at some point thought of and made by someone for some reason. Like the roads and castles and sewers and whatever didn't just show up. Someone came up with that thing to solve a problem that they were facing. And yeah. if you want things to feel uh, like as organic as, as uh, if you're one of those big world building nerds like uh, like I am, then it's good to know those reasons. Or even if you just want to make something little interesting, like you know water scarcity. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, just uh, right at the top, uh, we'd like to say, as we do every week, uh, but we really do mean it. Uh, we're recording here in the, the Minjin land, uh, which we would know as Brisbane, the traditional land of the Turrbal and Yagara people of Australia. These uh, have always been places of teaching and learning and of storytelling, and we like to continue on in that tradition, and we'd like to pay respe- respects to elders past, present, and emerging. And uh, if you're uh, one of those elders, we would love to hear from you. We'd love to have your perspective on the show and in conversation. Sovereignty was never ceded. Sovereignty was never ceded. Uh, and with that, um, oh Jesus, how do I make a not terrible uh, segue into today's topic of firearms? It's rough. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm a gentle intro. Uh, <laughs> I'm a gentle Our intro Our producer here. is just cacking himself <laughs> in the background. Yeah, I didn't, didn't think that one through very well, did we, huh? No, we didn't. Yeah, maybe you should have flipped the, flipped flipped that the banter and the... Uh, yikes. Anyway. For those for those listeners, I know we do have a <laughs> listener, I believe, uh, in was it um, Poland? I think. Yeah, it's uh, it's Sweden. I think. Do actually. we? Sorry. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, we've got some European listeners. Hello Sorry. to our European listeners. My silence was just because I was baffled. I imagine that everyone that listened to this podcast only listened to it because, like, they could hear out the windows of the podcast. Studio. <laughs> yeah, either that or I like finally personally harass them into listening. <laughs> Yeah. I logged into their phone and I downloaded the app for them. We are um, listened to in Australia, New Zealand, and Switzerland. Oh, so, wow. Hello to all of our Swiss listeners. <laughs> our Swiss listeners. Our Swiss listeners, thank you. Uh, sorry, our Swissners. Our Swiss. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you to you. Um, for those of you who don't know the uh, history behind that, uh, Basically, Westerners, as as they tended to, European colonizers killed most of the indigenous population of uh, yeah. of Australia when they colonized, or in the years following. Um, not in small part using firearms. Yeah, yeah, it was 
Nasty. Yeah, so yeah, we're going to talk about guns today and we're going to talk about it in a bit more of an abstract sense because obviously, like, guns are bad. We can all acknowledge that guns are bad and in a perfect world we wouldn't have guns because mm. you just kill people with and them and that's pretty fun. we can say fun. that because we don't have a huge uh, contingent of American listeners. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jesus. Yeah, I'm, I'm, every time I hear about America, I'm so thankful to be in a country that has strict so strict gun laws just just on a side note and this is probably something i'll take out of the episode itself and put somewhere else but did you see the new um high school that's being built in the united states deliberately using architecture that is um reminiscent of cover-based shooters it has curved hallways and spaces to provide cover in the case of mass shootings no but i'm not surprised at all Oh, wow. Modernity truly is a hellscape, huh? Yeah. And it's it's literally... We were talking in last episode about the, the Panopticon and how it's... Uh, it was briefly mentioned that it's used in schools. They are sacrificing that Panopticon, which is, in, especially uh, in the US, such a huge thing, and replacing it with short sight lines and constant cover. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, that's terrifying. Which I, is, yeah, arguably more terrifying than the idea of constantly being watched. Yeah. yeah. One of the most impressive things about humans is how well we adapt to our environment and i hate the fact that this is just an environment that people have accepted even though it was one that we built Mm. like you shouldn't have to come up with new architecture for your schools because there are guns yeah Yeah. like you made the guns so we're going to take a look at firearms in the sense of come out me second amendment cucks (laughs) (laughs) fuck (laughs) can i say that can you say cuck Hey, Zane, you, said- you can definitely say cuck. Zane's nodding, you can say cuck. Yeah. Ex- you've said worse on here before, I'm sure, right? I mean, oh, I've probably said I've- cunt before. Well, you have well, now. Well, you have now. <laughs> <sighs> Sometimes you really, just, you really just scream, I grew up in North Queensland. Yeah. What can I say? I grew up in North Queensland. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to take a look at guns uh, in the sense of how they may be implemented into a fantasy setting. Um, It's not going to be so much your smokeless powder and your modern firearms, more so what you'd find historically and how you're going to bring it in to make it interesting. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to just talk about kind of the more more gameplay-y parts of it. Yeah, like like we're saying, it kind of goes without saying that, like, obviously these things are bad and... we don't need to have like disclaimers all through the episode to be when we're talking about like oh this interesting thing, but guns are bad. Yeah. yeah when I talk about the composition of gunpowder, do not make it. Just don't. Yeah. Or f- do, a- but like just make fireworks with it or something. In a fantasy setting, these are interesting and fun to play with and interesting to like look at what you can do with them. In a real world setting, it's horrifying because you know the the effects that these have. It's it's yeah. just the whole like fiction isn't reality and it's really best to keep them separate sometimes yeah and look if you have to have a gun just make sure that when you pull the trigger you point the barrel away from friends and family and towards your local tyrant (laughs) so with that uh grace do you want to take us away i do um so i don't know if this is obvious yet uh but i'm less interested in the gameplay and more interested in like the design and the characters look which I mean, someone in this room needs to be. To Look, be fair, have, oh yeah, I have paid so much money to do an art direction course, and I need to use it for something. Otherwise, that hex debt is wasted. Oh, we didn't <laughs> say, by the way, but just just to just to put it out there, uh, congratulations, Grace recently just graduated from her bachelor of animation. I Woo. did. So this is these are officially qualified takes. I'm so qualified. I'm going back next year to keep doing it. Um. So what Ew. I'm looking. Who would do post grad? Nerds, Tully. Yeah. <laughs> We're just making like direct eye contact. We both know what's happening here. Um, My life is a hellscape. Yeah, look. I'm hoping that I've got a good supervisor. Actually, I lie. I know I've got a good supervisor. I'm sure that he will make it so much easier than it needs to be. <laughs> um, so I'm doing combination weapons today. Oh, yes. Yes. I have been referring to them as Franken weapons. For reasons which I'm pretty sure you can put together. Um, For a lot of the time, guns weren't actually that great. They were kind of difficult to reload. They were unreliable. They were heavy. They were just a bit shit. They were expensive. And um, honestly, 
not great in close combat because you could shoot once and then it was just like, uh, hold up a second while I reload yeah, with this mu- big stick and all this sort of nonsense. Muzzle-loaded weapons are a nightmare. Yes, well, people noticed that and they said, what if I just got my gun and I put it on a sword? What if I had both? That'd solve your problem. It solved the problem. You could shoot someone, and then if they got close enough to you, you could also stab them or hit them or do all sorts of nasty things because um, at the end of the day, uh, sort of blunt force trauma will get you there when a bullet won't. I love that this is a tradition that followed all the way through to the bayonet. Yep. Um, oh, yeah, it really, really flips the script there, huh? Yeah. Then it, it becomes a big gun with a knife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, between the late 16th century uh, and the mid-19th century, sort of the advances in firearms took a really long time and they were sort of still figuring things out. Uh, so they put blades and clubs were f- sort of fitted onto the guns uh, because the weapons were just so useless at close range that if you shot someone and missed... Uh, They'd just walk oops. up to you. Yeah, they could just walk over to you and hit you real hard. Well, more accurately, didn't they? Didn't they build the guns into the weapons? Like the the mm-hmm. the actual like melee weapon was the main of it. Looked like it looked like a club with a weird gun barrel. Yeah, I'm just about to get to that about how like it was such a it was such an exact thing because you had not only had to be a, an excellent weapons designer, you had to be able to design a well balanced sword that was useful and like worked, and you could also put in a. a uh, sword holder, there's a name for it. Sheath. Scabbard. Sheath, scabbard, whatever. It still had to be able to fit in one so you could take it around places. My butt. <laughs> I mean, a sword would fit there. A um, sword does fit. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Um, f- some of the first examples of this uh, was a German, pist- a German pistol that was fitted onto a battle axe, uh, which sounds rad as hell. And then even later, a sort of pistol-sword combination, which was um, apparently used mostly by marines and naval officers just because it was practical and they could sort of, because it was built into something as commonplace as a sword, they could sort of mass-produce on a level higher than just these very individual custom jobs, which a lot of the time these Franken-weapons were. Huh. I wonder if that was uh, especially directly evolved into like a gun with a bayonet. It'd be interesting to see mm. like the progression of like swords getting smaller and guns getting <laughs> well, bigger. It's actually funny that this is something that's continued because the very first firearm was a melee weapon. Uh, it's actually a Chinese weapon called the, uh, that we know as the fire lance, and it was it was a a lance that had on the end of it a bamboo tube. And in there was gunpowder, not the black powder that we would be using in firearms, but one with uh, a whole lot more, I believe it's more sulfur in it. Oh, yeah. And it's just like a burst of flame, right? Yeah. It was a a flamethrower on a stick. And then eventually they discovered that if they put shrapnel in it, then that would be more effective. (laughs) And then at the end of that sort of progression, they went, oh, we can actually do away with the lance and just light this thing with a a wick. Mm. And it's way more effective from a distance. And then from there, they evolved that into the hand cannon. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so... They knew what they were doing. Like, the very first firearms were actually melee weapons. Hmm. The very first shotguns, even, which is really fun. (laughs) Yeah, buckshot invented in ancient China. (laughs) (laughs) To go into my lance. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, So there were were sort of examples um, that I found of tiny guns being put into pocket knives. Because a lot of these were um, like custom jobs made for rich people to show off their wealth and for personal protection. It really does so smack of the, uh, the, the, um, the really fancy Victorian gentleman with a gun in his cane. Uh-huh. <laughs> well. <laughs> yes! Well, you could get a gun in your cane. There is even an example where some guy had tiny little flintlock pistols built into his uh, little cutlery set that he had for travelling. So you could be having your little steak, your little your little roasted tato, and someone comes up to you and they go, oh, I'm going to get you, and you shoot them with your dessert spoon. I am so happy. Yeah. I mean, they're beautiful. They're also, like, obviously, they're custom-made. They're gorgeous. Um, but it is also a little tiny gun. Mm. Uh, I was talking to Lachlan about it, about just, like, eating your little roasted tato and you shoot yourself in the face by accident. <laughs> These are loaded weapons you're yeah. eating with. So 
mm, not a great idea always. Uh, Indian gunsmiths were well known for attaching guns to maces. Um, They thought swords, look, everyone has a sword. I'm just going to hit you with this big, pointy, heavy stick and also put a gun on it. I think my favourite, because I did get to see some real uh, combination weapons while I was in India in, uh, I believe it was, uh, I can't remember what city it was. I think it was in Jaipur, actually, um, one of the forts. My favourite was a gun that had five barrels, (laughs) but that wasn't enough. Not enough to have five distinct barrels that all shoot. They were all on mounted on one giant flat triangular blade. Oh, I love it so much. God, yes. Yeah, the way, uh, like, really early on, the way they solved the issue of guns only firing one at a time was they just sort of put multiple guns side by side and on one handle. So you just <laughs> pull, like, six triggers all in a row and shoot six bullets from six individual guns before they thought... How about we just try and put that all into one gun? I mean, take a look at the pepper box. It is just yeah. six loaded barrels with one firing mechanism. I mean, they were onto something. Look at the mini gun. Yeah, yeah. It's fucking it's the same thing. Came to fruition in the end. Yeah. Um, originally, like edge weapons, like swords and all that sort of stuff, were the favorite, especially in the upper class, because you could get them done very nicely. They were they were already sort of common in upper class, like outfits and stuff for ceremonial occasions and things like that yeah well um, i mean for a lot of a lot of our history yeah, in the west at least yeah uh, the just, sword was a symbol of the f- of a free man yeah um yeah. it was sort of a practical weapon also uh, as a show of wealth as sort of to defend yourself from highwaymen would be attackers any sort of like issues you just had your weapon on you and if it had a gun on it, even better um, but then things got a little wacky and they thought, let's just sort of put this on anything we can. Uh, so there's shields. On, things weren't already that wacky? Oh, they, they put, if you there was an item that you can hold on your person, they put a gun on it. There are shields. There are gauntlets. There is a fun one that I sent Lachlan that I'm pretty sure Lachlan's trying to bully Tully into letting us into our campaign right now, which is oh, yeah, a you'll be gauntlet getting so with so many a, levels of disadvantage for using. It is that. a gauntlet <laughs> with a built-in shield and two guns attached to it, and then the shield is uh, bladed on the edge. The so shield also has sword catchers, which are just holes that lead to another shield. It's really yeah, good. It's, it's a really good device. It's wild uh yeah you had the cutlery set uh there was a fake book with a flintlock pistol on either end of the cover so you had cover on the front inside there was a pistol there were a bunch of blank pages maybe you could have written something on them and then a gun on the back and then the cover again you just flipped that up and it was two guns in your book see i really i think that's really interesting because like like i was saying for for most of history most of the history when like swords were common they were like this this symbol of someone free um and i know we we referenced our talk about like a about like the concept of the panopticon uh, a little bit earlier in the episode uh from from last week and i think it's really interesting to see like the the societal shift as you have like these very early franken weapons that are exclusively like really overt mm. big melee mm. weapons and stuff like the sort of thing that you would uh, built for someone who's imagining them li- themselves like walking over a hill sword in hand and like yeah. everyone sees them for the first time and they're like oh, a, a, a hero, an adventurer. They they have a sword and a gun, and it's like a big like spectacle. And you're you're like this mystery armed person, and you're like free and powerful. And then as it like transitions to like away from away from like that world into like a more like kind of paranoid society mm. where instead of like instead it was like shameful to feel afraid, yeah, but it was it still was like, like everyone was so afraid, so you had to hide it. Um, one of the interesting things about these little hidden pistols and stuff was that um, if you were a rich woman, that was that was a sort of weapon that was open to you if you had a husband that was willing. Um, and it was sort of one of the first examples of women being able to carry weapons of personal protection, um, especially. I mean, it was exclusively upper class and you had to have a really chill husband but there are a couple <laughs> of you had to have a chill husband and a lot of money but if you had that then you could get yourself a little hidden gun or a little like uh, I know a little 
flintlock in your parasol or something. That's fun. Um, it was just interesting because it also opened this up. If you were hiding weapons and you didn't want to be seen with one, I mean, you could get what you wanted and no one would notice until they attacked you and by then it's too late. Yeah, because like as as weapons as overt weapons kind of became less common, it would have become it would have been like really suspicious for anyone other than like the peop the like authorities to be carrying weapons around. Mm. Um, even in a time where like you didn't have the kind of I guess relative safety of the modern age to like back up not needing it, I suppose. Yeah, there's a um, there's a pretty easy rule of thumb for these sort of franken weapons and if it's a pretty and intricate sword or strange object that looks more like a collectible uh it's sort of an upper class protection from criminals and assassinations um and often they also were hidden because it was assassinations from within their own social circles they weren't exactly worried about you know revolts and highwaymen they were worried about their friend at the dinner table who might stab them um but if it looks really super cool and brutal like horrifying uh that's custom made for probably um like a success a highly successful soldier or someone who was highly decorated um to take into war okay um so a second those like the further you peel away those aesthetics the more just like horribly brutal it is um there was one that was a was a uh, a gun attached to a sword and the sword would sort of scissor out and you pulled a handle uh so you would shoot someone you would stab them and then you'd pull your little handle and your sword (gasps) would open like a pair of scissors oh Oh, but like in reverse yeah so you You could just cut them right open yeah oh boy yeah, it's like when you put uh, when you're cooking when you're cooking dinner and you put a pair of tongs inside the meat to check if it's cooked properly, um, but it just sort of rips through the whole thing. So what I'm getting from this is, if it looks like it belongs in Assassin's Creed, it belongs to a nobleman. Yeah. If it looks like it belongs in Painkiller, it belongs to a soldier. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Uh, yeah. What's interesting is that this sort of died down for a really long time. This was really the era of when they were still getting a hang of. Um, getting the hang of guns um, when guns weren't necessarily still the um, the weapon of choice because um, they had better options. Yeah. Um, and as yeah. guns got better and better, then they just went, oh, well, she's a gun, who cares? Yeah, like the, the novelty uses of guns during like the era of knights kind of thing. Yeah. Um, these Franken-weapons and hidden guns came back into fashion in the 40s and in the Cold War mm-hmm. uh, where they thought, I'd like a weapon once more. Uh, but if I get seen with one, I'm in big trouble. So you had... Um, yeah, if I get seen with a gun, the KGB will come and get me. Yeah, there's... Or um, the CIA, either way. Whoever catches you, it's not good. Um, there was... Yeah, it probably doesn't make too much of a difference at the end of the day. You're still in their room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, there were reports of guns being hidden in gloves... Uh, lipstick tubes, umbrellas, smoking pipes, because guns are way better. You could make them way smaller. And so they just were like, oh, we'll just make a gun, we'll make it really little. Still shoots, still will kill you. I once saw someone modify a pair of Oscar Wiley glasses to have guns in it. Oh, I've said too much. Basically, uh, if it had a tube, they could put a gun in it. If there was something to act as a barrel to direct a bullet, they said, yeah, we can put a gun in that. Please tell me there have been gun boots. Um, I'm pretty sure there have been high heels with guns in them. Yeah, I can, I can definitely go with the bayonetta gun stiletto. Concept. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Fuck. Want, yeah, hold I on. I want them. Just anything from bayonetta. Wait, but then how would you shoot someone with that? You'd have to do like a weird backwards kick thing? Just just quickly, jump onto YouTube, look up bayonetta gameplay. Yeah, but bayonetta can jump real high. Bayonetta has so much more verticality than a human being in stilettos, Tully, and I I think you know that. I mean, to be fair, all you have to do is to be able to lift your leg at a 45-degree angle. If you can get it up straight... I'm just saying, I think there's easier ways. There's definitely easier ways than lifting your your leg at a 90-degree angle. Look, I would go through the sort of annoying physical uh, barriers if I get to wear gun shoes. Mm-hmm. I'll do it. I'll take one for the team. That's fair. If you if you had the chance <laughs> to murder people with gun stilettos, you would get flexible for that. That's true. I'd make it work. I'd make it work. Oh, concept. Warforged gun with stilettos. a gun dick. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm gonna put a gun in my dildo. I wanna. It's. I mean, there's. Look. I mean, there's if, a barrel. If Texas didn't have all these <laughs> restrictive rules on dildos, then we could do this. That's actually God. why they have those restrictive rules. Oh, they're ahead yeah. of. They're they're, they're way ahead, ahead of, of all of us. Um, but yeah, so basically, <laughs> the reason I brought these more modern examples was because, like, if your D and D game isn't leaning very heavily into historical accuracy, there are plenty of historically accurate, cool Franken weapons that you can go for. But if you're not leaning into the historical accuracy of it, there is absolutely no reason why you can't get like an artificer or something to just put a gun in anything you want. Why would you say such a thing at a table? with your GM and your fellow player who is an artificer. It's okay. I I already knew this. I appreciate. (laughs) I knew this already and I already played. Tully, I, how much work did I put into making sure I could start with a gun? Yeah, that's fair. Don't even, how dare you presume I do not have some very intricate gun plans up my sleeve. Also, how dare you assume while I was researching this, I wasn't constantly sending Lachlan pictures like, hey, what about this? Yeah, hey, that's true. this is cool. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I thought ahead. I thought ahead. My whole, my like, whole, like, uh, my whole hobby is character design. And I had someone I knew personally who was designing a character. I couldn't not meddle with that. Yeah. Yeah, look, I'll be honest. The only reason I have intricate gun plans is because Grace just already showed me the gun, showed me the cool guns. <laughs> it's teamwork. <laughs> We're working together to solve a problem. It's D and D, Tully. Yeah, Tully. Ugh, not that you'd know anything about that. <laughs> no, famously hate D and D. Yeah. Um. Yes, yeah, so that's all I brought today on combination weapons or Franken weapons. If you're cooler, hot, beautiful. Um, well, thank you for that. The day was, oh God, I'm so happy. I'm so happy with all of that. They're great. And like literally any, you type in combination weapons into Google images and you are set. They look awesome every time. <laughs> Amazing. Um, well, what I'm going to talk about a little bit is basically firearms in fantasy and why they need to be adapted. And Part of that is going to be talking about misfires and part of that is talking about just the sheer practicality of um, guns in combat as we would know it if you're going to use old weapons. Um, so I'm just going to go quickly over what black powder is at, right up the top. Okay, uh, So gunpowder as you would know it if you are currently using firearms, unless you are into, recre- um, into historical recreation or you are using shotguns, you're likely not going to use black powder. Um, you're likely going to be using bullets that have smokeless powder, which is brand new, uh, or as of the 19th, late 19th century, which is way more effective. Um, as It's not actually characterised as the same grade of explosive. It's a high-grade explosive, whereas uh, black powder is a low-grade explosive. Okay. And it doesn't produce the same smoke, which means you don't get the same fouling in your in your barrel. I'll talk a, bit, a little bit about that later. Um But essentially, I'm not really going to touch on the more modern aspects. I'm going to talk about historical guns and how they went wrong, why they didn't work the way that we know guns to work now. Okay. So, gunpowder, first sort of discovered in China and known as uh, fire medicine. Uh, It was these same ingredients in probably a different ratio and usually mixed with honey. Um, and if it was mixed too violently, it would burn people's houses down. I mean, any good medicine does, yep. quite frankly. Um, that, so, I think that's the honey, though. Yeah, the it's honey. the honey. Honey's dangerous. Yeah. That's why we're killing the bees. <laughs> Do your part, kill the bees. It's, so, it's self-defense. <laughs> Stop burning our damn houses down. <laughs> so... Gunpowder is made of three different elements. The first is saltpeter, so that's basically... It, it's a name that kind of encur- encompasses a couple of different nitrates. So the most common is potassium nitrate, but you just need a nitrate of some sort to act as an o- oxidizer. Of course, of course. This brings oxygen to the reaction, and if you've done chemistry at all um, at any point in your life, you'll know that any explosive reaction, uh, any flame, any combustion, needs oxygen. Um, then you're going to need charcoal, it's important to note that this isn't just carbon. You can't put activated charcoal in there. You need actual charcoal that includes burned cellulose because it acts both as carbon for the reaction and uh, as fuel. Oh, okay, um, so it can't be, like, refined at all. It has to just be, like, just 
actual charcoal. It can be refined, but the more you refine it closer to straight carbon, the less it's going to work. Yeah, okay, sorry. It can't be refined to what we would consider now refined charcoal. Um, And the reason for that is just if you make it pure carbon, it's going to have a much higher burning temperature. Whereas if you include uh, some of the cellulose that comes with um, charcoal, it has a much lower burning temperature, which means it ignites faster. It'd be really funny if they never worked that out and they like made they made gunpowder just sitting there with like pure carbon. They were like, man, one day we'll find something hot enough to light this. And, <laughs> oh boy, you guys are going to be sorry. <laughs> you guys are going to be sorry. They have to invent nuclear power before they can, before they can ever use <laughs> the guns. <laughs> um, and then the last thing is sulfur. So uh, you add it, it acts as both a fuel and a catalyst. So it will lower the ignition temperature significantly. Oh, okay. Um, and so without sulfur, you really can't have an explosive reaction. You'll just burn. That's all it'll do. It'll just burn. It's probably not what you want if you're trying to shoot a gun. Yeah, exactly. Um, now the ratio of this is very important. Um, the ideal gunpowder, uh, the ideal black powder. Um, even to this day, is about 70% of your oxidizer, about 10% sulfur and 15% charcoal. Um, So you just need so much of that nitrate to get enough oxygen in there for a violent reaction. Okay. So it's just like, would that be something that would be easy to get your hands on at the time? Um, Yeah. One of the biggest things historically to get your hands on, obviously charcoal was easy to get your hands on, Really, depending on where you were in the world and what era, um, it was the sulfur or the saltpeter. Saltpeter was nitrates you know, appear occur naturally quite a lot, and you're going to find them fairly easily. It's just up to refining them. Okay. Whereas sulfur was a little hard to find in a refinable source, but fairly easy to turn into crystals. People would just find smelly water and let it crystallize. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's a little more to it than that, but essentially that's the process. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess sulfur's pretty easy to spot when you're around it. Yeah, exactly. Is there a a difference in how powerful a gunpowder is depending on which nitrate you use? Does that affect anything at all? Um, I didn't look too far into it because just the most common one is potassium nitrate. That's fair. I would assume they do have different... Different reactions. Yeah, I mean, if that's what's causing most of the oxidization, then I imagine it, it's probably very dependent on the type of nitrate you have. Yeah, mm. um, but I guess if the most if the most common is being used, that's probably yeah. one that is effectively powerful. Exactly, and that's the one that's used the most often. Um, but yeah, it's it's just if if you screw up this uh, ratio at all, if you in- include less saltpeter, less of your nitrate, then it creates just an incendiary. It just is fire because it needs oxygen before it does anything. So it spreads out and Mm. fireballs. So like best case, it does nothing. Worst case, your hands on fire. Yeah, pretty much. Cool. Cool, Um, cool, cool, cool. Sounds fun. If you include less sulfur, you raise the ignition temperature. So you need a much hotter spark uh, to start the... To start the ignition, mm-hmm. and generally that'll come in the form of uh, a flash in the pan. So your uh, flash pan, your ignition thing, that will ignite, but your actual explosive force won't. Oh, great, 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 okay. great. That's what I want when I'm firing my gun in the heat of a moment, is for it to not fire. Yeah. <laughs> and then less charcoal, just it provides less fuel, so there's less explosive force. And this is why they decided to put knives on their guns. Yeah. Because it did this, you know what? Probably pretty frequently. Oh, there are more issues. So here are some of the issues that you can face with gunpowder. Mm-hmm. The first is separation of ingredients during transport. Because every single ingredient has a separate specific gravity. So if it gets jostled around too much and doesn't explode, it will just separate out into three different piles. So you've got on the bottom of your barrel, one of your ingredients, in the middle another, and on the top another. And none of them work without each other. Um, which is great for a reaction. So I mean, it's probably, in terms of transport, a smarter move. Yeah, but it just means that once you get to the front lines, you've got to have somebody mixing gunpowder on the front lines. That seems like a good idea. I don't see any issue with being right on the front lines of a, of a, of a gunfight with a big barrel of gunpowder right in um, front of you. It seems like a really good idea. I mean, another, that way you can get all the gunpowder to the guns. I That's where the guns are, Tully. 
I think it's a really good idea to be under under fire from guns while mixing gunpowder that requires exact uh, exact amounts in order to be effective. <laughs> what what I love um, is being under pressure and told to do something precisely, otherwise people will die. Famously, uh, high pressure and attention to detail do work well together. Um, <laughs> Honestly, it's probably easier to stop the whole process. Instead of like shooting the person that's mixing the gunpowder, just shoot near them enough that they mi- that they get spooked <laughs> and, mi- and like jostle it and it just explodes. Um, so one of the other issues is that because um, all the ingredients were fairly fine, the fine powder um, reduced the amount of oxygen that's present when the reaction starts, which Classic means that fine powder, which means that the results are pretty unpredictable. So if it's packed in too tightly, then it might just burn slowly because oh, it's, it's not like, enough oxygen. It's like making an espresso; you got to get the right tension. Yeah, and if you don't tamp it down hard enough, um, the beginning of the reaction can start blowing away the rest of the gunpowder, which means you get a much slower reaction mm. over a larger space, and then it doesn't do anything. I can't believe that we used guns to the point where we have what we do today. This is like... Yeah, right? Human, humans are very clever, but we're also exceptionally stupid. And I can't believe that we had all of these problems and we still went, I'm going to keep at this one. Well, we were we so actually, determined. We, we really wanted to shoot people. We fixed these two issues with a process called wet grinding. And essentially what happened was we added distilled spirits. Um, Tully, I know what wet grinding is. We all know what wet grinding is. You can move on. The look we both gave Tully when he said those words was identical. We both had the same sort of process of grief. <laughs> anyway, so uh, when we dry hump our powder. Um, no, no so, when we wet hump our powder. Thank you. So <laughs> essentially wet grinding is when you add distilled spirits to the mixture. Um, so that you're it still like fully closed, but you're very wet. <laughs> So, essentially what wet grinding was, was you add distilled spirits to your gunpowder mixture until it formed like a paste. Uh, and that would allow you to grind, thing, grind them down to a much finer uh, components to get a better mix a lot easier and without risk of blowing the place up because you've accidentally caused a spark. What happened then was once the alcohol dissolved, it would all be perfectly dry. But before they did it, they would actually roll it into little balls. Uh, this is a process called corning. And the reason it's called corning is because... It looks like a little corn. Well, yeah. So the, the sizes of the little balls that they get rolled into differ um, by need. So if you're firing a cannon, supposedly about the size of corn kernels up to the size of a thumbnail is the acceptable size for uh, one of these corns. Oh, so you'd be like, instead of scooping like a thing of... of like dry gunpowder, you'd be scooping like a thing of pellets. Yeah, into, essentially. And you'd be pouring pellets. And so into okay. your cannons, it's going to be the size of like anywhere from a corn kernel to a, a thumbnail. I thought you meant just one corn kernel and for a cannon for a second. And I was like, fuck, That's that gunpowder was good. <laughs> Honestly, this process was reported to uh, increase the ef- efficiency of gunpowder anywhere from 30 to 300 percent oh yeah just because you get more you get less moisture retention so the gunpowder doesn't retain as much moisture and it uh, stays dry longer longer and also because you've got oxygen right there in the middle of the mix Mm. Mm. i mean anyone who has smoked before knows that there's like when you have like those little things just because that's the only thing i can think of that has like such small things you burn like you you can get little tiny powdery things that just like are destroyed or you can get like but you get too big things it doesn't work but there's like this perfect little middle ground where you get tiny little bits and it just burns but like not too small and it just burns perfectly yeah honestly that's that's it it's just enough um enough oxygen in the mix um so this was ideal um you'd actually have it a lot finer for guns obviously because they're smaller barrels um they'd say about cornmeal texture so um imagine like polenta that's kind of the the texture that you want. So that's mm. the imagine hoomst polenta, the food. God, Isn't that the thing in the womb? So essentially, this corning process, uh, yeah, it helped uh, reduce moisture retention and it just aided in the, in the oxygen 
uh, the oxygenation of the mix. That brings us to another issue that gunpowder has, which is um, just moisture. If it gets wet, even if it gets too humid, it can just ruin it. Mm. Um, black powder, before it was corned, and even afterwards, um, if it was corned too finely, if it got too humid, it would just spoil. Um, Same, though. Yeah. And... Um, this would cause... Oh, yeah, and then uh, both the powder and the smoke is what's called hygroscopic, which means it attracts and uh, attracts and absorbs water. And when the smoke or the powder itself, which contains sulfur, <laughs> uh, ret- uh, retains water, that reacts and creates sulfuric acid. Mm. Oh, cool. Cool, 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 which cool, cool. Which is Good. famously a great thing that you always want around. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, essentially you can just ruin an entire batch Ooh. of gunpowder with a little bit of water. But if you've only got like a tiny bit of water and only some, like imagine you've, it's like a humid day, you've packed your barrel and you get and just like the first little bit started to get wet. If you time that right, you're shooting someone with bullets coated in sulfuric acid and that's cool as hell. But you're also fouling up the inside of your barrel, which can cause your barrel to explode later. Tully, if I would, if I could shoot people with acid bullets, I'd take that hit. I'm Look, you've got like five barrels <laughs> okay. on all of these fucking guns, Lachlan, so it's fine. You can you can fire acid bullets, but your misfire score is seventeen. Look, dude, <laughs> I've played video games. I know that the durability of acid weapons is way lower than any other kind of me- of attack. So then we get into some historical styles of weapons, and this is going to lead into some issues with firing mechanisms. So um, the first weapons, as I talked about earlier, were the fire lance, which then evolved into the hand cannon, which is pretty much it's as you would imagine a cannon, and it had a uh, it had a hole in the back so that you could put a fire into the gunpowder lot. Ooh, ooh, ooh! And I you, bet, I bet, you held it with your hand, probably. Yeah, you could fit it in your hand. Fuck that! Fuck, I'm smart, um, <laughs> guys. So that's a hand cannon. Uh, it's pretty simple, um, and that's ignited through what's called a touch hole. Um, <laughs> I'm excited through a touch hole. No. <laughs> <laughs> so this then ex- uh, evolved into the arquebus, which is the first uh, gun to have a trigger. And it essentially, this is what added the hooked shape that we kind of know guns as today. Um, it went from just being a straight barrel to having a barrel with a handle. Um, or, a, yeah, a hooked shape of some, some kind. Mm, yeah. Um, do, you have, do you have written down what specifically that came from? Because uh, no, I, I actually found that in my research. The reason that we have those like curved handles is because when they started... Um, I'll, I'll get more into like the context of it. But when they started transitioning to using guns for duels to make them more accurate, they put saw blades on... Uh, saw handles on them. There so that's go. like the handle of like one of those old-timey like long swords with like the curved wooden handle. Yeah. Yeah, and they would just, they would just like take, uh, attach them to the pistols. That's fantastic. Um. Yeah, and then these kind of these are, became muskets and started getting into the rifling processes, which I'll I'll mention briefly when I talk about um, barrel fouling. But um, l- really, the things that could go wrong the quickest were the firing mechanisms. So these, um, what we when we think of historical guns, we think of the flintlock. That's just straight up what we remember. Mm-hmm. But there were a couple of things that came first. Uh, that is the matchlock is the the initial one, and what you essentially had with the matchlock was you had um, the match, which was a thick piece of rope known as the match cord, and this was constantly lit. Um, it was just a constantly lit rope. That seems foolish. It, I think it certainly it was. fun, but um, it's spontaneous. Did nobody tell anyone that if someone lights that rope that it shoots bullets? Because I feel like someone should have told someone that. So <laughs> essentially the... Um, the cock or the serpent <laughs> at this point. <laughs> the what? <laughs> ah, fuck! The two worst animals it could have been. <laughs> ah, fucking hell. You know what? I bet in the old times they knew what they were doing. Guns really do just be dick. Swords do too, huh? Huh. Everything really is just phallic imagery in the end of the day. What we would know currently as the hammer or... Um, was known at this point as the serpentine, and that would hold or the on cock. To, Please continue. Or the cock, uh, and you that would hold the lit match cord. Um, then what you would have to do is manually open the hatch to the touch hole. Manually open that um, after you've loaded your gunpowder in, and then you're 
yeah, your musket ball and then your wadding. You would open that up and then you would pull the trigger, which would pull the match to the touch hole and ignite the fuck up. So, so you're saying that if I stop, pull out my no. cock, I can fuck push no. rope into the touch hole? <laughs> Ah! Is that what you're saying, darling? Are you saying that if I do that, that I'll explode? I was really proud to show my family my fun new project I'm working on, but I can't. Okay, I've figured out what the final um, what the final thing will be, and it's just going to be a supercut of all the innuendo from this episode. <laughs> Everything I cut from this episode gets released the, on, okay. yeah, that's really good. on Christmas. Well, don't cut it from this episode. Just put it in without... Just edit it to a point where it's completely contextless. So it's still <laughs> funny in the episode. But it's a good hiatus thing. Yep. And that's going to release on Christmas Day. Oh, good. Happy Wait, Christmas. What day of the week is that? A Wednesday. Oh, that's yeah. when we release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's fine then. Um, anyway, so... The problem with this, as you may have gathered, is if you reload this too quick, you can just blow yourself up with the lit match cord that is there. It's just constantly lit. Um, also, if you're walking around at night, if you are a sentry or if you are a if you are watching out, people can see where you are because your gun is on fire. It's crazy too because it's called the match cord, but nobody just like took some matches to light it when they needed it. Well, that's the thing. The matches, um, as we know them, are coated in um, um, the in the nitrate in the oxidizer, and so it would. It, that's where matches came from. Was from these match cords. It was just a wick. Excellent. Yeah, the um, world's most dangerous candle. Yep. Um, so when people realised that this was maybe <laughs> a little bit fucked. Uh, they then developed what's called the snap lock. Uh, now, this is the precursor to the flintlock pistol. This is what we... You would probably recognise it, and if you saw it in action, unless you knew what you were looking for, you probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference. But there are some important differences between the snap lock and the snap hands, uh, and then the later development, which was the flintlock. Mm-hmm. So, and what are those? Essentially, the things they have in common is that... Uh, the piece of flint is held in the jaws of the hammer, or as they would be known, the cock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you would then manually open, in the snap lock and the snap hands, you would manually open the flash pan, which is, I think, don't think I've properly explained what a flash pan is, actually. It is a small uh, trail of gunpowder that leads into the gunpowder behind the bullet. Okay. Yep. So you would manually open the flash pan, and then you would release the trigger, which released the spring that let the hammer fall down onto what's called the frizzen. Um, the flint on the frizzen would create a spark, which would fly into the flash pan, which would ignite the powder in the flash pan, which would then ignite the, f- the powder behind the bullet. Okay, so it's just... It's the same as... It's the, it goes it's, click, it's, strike, spark, bang! It's really just mm. kind of a regular gun, except they didn't think to put it in a case and they just poured the powder in. Mm. Yeah. So it was stupid. So then uh, the next thing along is the flintlock, which had a very key safety thing that got added to it, which is um, just like the last two, the, uh, the flint would strike against the frizzen, which would then ignite the flash pan. But in this one, once the frizzen was struck... The frizzen would move out of the way, which opened automatically the flash pan. So you didn't have to open it with your fingers before firing. It would happen during the firing process. That would definitely help. Yeah. Um, so uh, a flash in the pan, which is essentially where, oh! which is essentially where the flash pan would go off, but the uh, it wouldn't make it to the actual gunpowder in the barrel. Okay. Which. Um, I'll talk about that as a, as a failure in a sec, but they would happen a, less often with a flintlock. Still quite a lot. Still happened a lot, but just not quite as much. Um, and then there's the wheel lock, which is just the most steampunk weapon ever. Uh, essentially, it's the same technology as um, a combination of a flintlock pistol and a Zippo lighter. Yes. Yeah. Fuck, and, that's cool. And yeah. essentially, instead of pulling back the cock which had the flint in it and that striking a frizzen, um, it would, instead, you would draw back uh, a 
essentially a, a toothed um, pe- a tooth piece that which would rotate a wheel. And then when the spring was let go, it would drive that wheel back up against a flint, which would set off a series of sparks while opening the flash pan automatically and set off the, the flash pan. And it was just like setting off a Zippo lighter instead of um, pulling the trick, instead of um, striking a flint. Huh. That's cool. Yeah. Which um, also reminds me, Zippo lighters are cool as hell, huh? Yeah. Just flip that bad boy open and you just got fire. Now, the only real issue with the wheel lock um, compared to the flint lock is that like, they were about as reliable as each other. It's just that the wheel lock was invented earlier but also required a whole lot more machining. It was really hard to make because they were so complex. It's probably also just like a little bit more awkward to use to be like folding it around rather than like just doing the... Not particularly because it was no? still just pull, pull the trigger and the spring would do the, the flipping for you. Oh, mm. so it was like you weren't doing anything different. It was just the internal mechanism yeah. was different. Oh, okay. Um, I'd highly recommend checking out the, a photo of the inside of a wheel lock um, rifle because they are so fascinating and I still can't really decipher it without somebody labeling all the pieces. So it was really just the same thing. The flintlock was just the same thing as the wheel lock but easier to use. Yeah, yeah, it was a simpler mechanism. Uh, or, or at least easier to, like, make and repair. Yeah, pretty much. Huh. Um, and so this is where I get into uh, issues with misfires and safety issues, which is the flash in the pan. Um, as I've said, it's when the flash pan goes off, but the, amp- the powder behind the bullet doesn't. It's extremely dangerous because if you get a flash in the pan and then you, tr- you just go, oh, it didn't work, let's reload that. Then there could still the be an ember in there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you could get a late ignition or you could um, re- reload the flash pan into an ember. Um, it's just the chances of blowing yourself up are way too high. It's like that thing you see in cartoons where like someone will like turn off a hose until someone looks into it, but just like so much more horrifying. Yeah. Um, then there's, yeah, obviously the issues with the powder, moisture separation, lack of oxygen. Um, accidental ignition will happen quite a lot um, with, yeah, embers remaining in the barrel. So even after you've fired it successfully, you could still have embers in your barrel. That's very possible. <laughs> um, then there's So even if it works, you're still, you're still in for a fun surprise, like a good percentage of the time. Yeah. Guns are such a bad idea. Why did um, we do this? Then there's the accidental frizzen strike. It's It really is a, a, just a, a horrible testament to just the failings of modern society yep. that we were so determined to use these things no matter that we got to the point that we're at. That's um, really, like, that's yeah. really fucked that we even wanted to. Um, and then there's, uh, here's actually a fun side note, or a not so fun side note. Do you know what the origin of volleys of gunfire come from? Why they would use volleys? Uh, the sand shoes. Because you would shoot people while they played tennis. I hate you. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the reasoning behind volleys of gunfire was actually because while they were accurate, you didn't want to be striking sparks while somebody's reloading. That's that was so fair. that everybody fired at the same time and then you could get a period where you just all reloaded without having sparks flying. Oh, so that's why you see like riflemen, like yeah. old-timey riflemen in like media always always shoot at once whereas like uh, archers would always fire like in sequence to make sure that there was like arrows exactly. going oh, at all times. Like a volleys of arrows were so were so close together. Yeah, yeah whereas volleys of riflemen, they had to make sure that nobody was striking sparks while they had powder in their hands. Mm. That's interesting because that's not even how we use volley anymore. Like we, we we use volley in most like in sports, for instance, as like more the arrow thing. It's like a continuous thing. Like yeah. if you have a good volley in tennis, it's because mm. you hit it back and forth a lot. Yeah. Um, Which, weirdly enough... That's interesting. That's actually how gunfights work. You're supposed to hit the bullet backwards and forwards between you. <laughs> you do you that just thing catch like, it in the barrel yeah, and you, you do that thing again. like in speed where you shoot into each other's <laughs> guns and you have to keep shooting it back. <laughs> um, so then there's fouling. So this happens um, no matter how, but it happens a little more often 
uh, in rifled barrels. So mm-hmm. essentially rifling uh, in a barrel is where you end up with a bit of a spiral pattern on the inside of the gun. Um, so at the beginning of a Bond movie, right? There's that famous shot where you look down the barrel of the gun and then it tries to shoot at Bond mm. and the, the screen goes red because of the special effects. Yeah, and it's got those like curvy lines around yeah. the outside of the barrel. Those it curvy looks lines. like a camera shutter. Yeah, those curvy lines are... Like, I always thought they were to look like an iris uh, but or an aperture, but they are actually the rifling of the gun. So they're designed to make the bullets spin so that it has a lot more stability when it's fired and mm. goes in a straight line. Yeah, because a smooth barrel's just like... it's A smooth barrel is like shooting a shot put, whereas like throwing a shot put, whereas like these, these rifled barrels are like an American football pass. Like, yeah. it's going to go in a fucking completely straight line pretty much as far as that propellant is physically able to shoot something. Huh. Yeah. It's like... Uh, I'll talk about it a bit later, but um, there was some. Re- it was. It led to some really interesting views about rifling in terms of like dueling and stuff. And like, some some people thought it was like. Some people thought it was like really unsporting. It was like you gotta let God take. God has to have to say. <laughs> if you miss, that's your. That's just God saying you shouldn't have hit them. Whereas, like <laughs> on the flip side, some people were like, "Oh, you don't use rifling, you coward! I shoot to kill." <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, hold my gun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, essentially, with the rifled barrels, because there are some, there's more space for it to happen. Fouling was a problem. That being said, um, it probably went more disastrously in non-rifled barrels. Essentially, fouling is where there's a build-up of some sort of residue. Mm. So this is where uh, the smoke from ignition or just excess gunpowder will create sort of build-up. And if a gun barrel is not cleaned properly, it will continue to build up uh, until you need to start using smaller barrels or less uh, smaller bullets or less wadding. Um, and this can cause an issue because if there is gunpowder surrounding the bullet at the time of ignition, it can cause your barrel to just blow open. <laughs> or, I imagine, worse yet, backfire. Yeah, I, I haven't found much on backfiring. It's, really? Yeah. It's not... It doesn't seem to be uh, in too many of the, the sources that I was looking at. Oh, um, you'd expect it to be a, a lot more of an issue with like early rifling. Yeah. Um, so fouling is a lot more of a problem in muzzle-loaded weapons mm. uh, because you're pouring the gunpowder through. Uh, but with breech-loaded weapons, it can still happen. Uh, and breech-loaded weapons is where you load the, the bullet and the gunpowder from the back of the gun. So pretty much all weapons nowadays are breech-loaded. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you're still putting gunpowder in there. It's just less of it is touching the barrel. Yeah. Mm. Um, you still get there if you shoot enough bullets. And then, look, if you're using period weapons, you're probably not going to be using cartridges. But if you are using cartridges, this is just a quick rundown on how those can go wrong. Um, so cartridges, essentially, rather than putting in your gunpowder and then putting in your bullet and your wadding, you would just have that all in one neat, handy package. Mm. This pretty much only ever happened in... Um, in breech-loaded weapons mm. because, I mean, it was really impractical to do it otherwise. Yeah, mm. and, and that's why you see when you when you see, like, bullets... That's why that's why you see uh, the, like, the separated casings yeah, of, the of casings bullets. Yeah, the coming out of the gun. And why, like, bullets after they've been shot are so much smaller than the thing you put in because all of that stuff is, like, all of that, like, flash pan and all of the... the um, it's just all in one piece. The different components and stuff are all <laughs> built in behind the bullet. Look, this is really showing my origins, uh, but there are several TV shows where you can see people building uh, like custom-made uh, bullets where you can watch them sort of put the bullet and the casing and all the sort of stuff together because like, you can just build a bullet. It's yeah. all separate pieces you can put together. Someone had um, to make them. And essentially what it's made up of is you've got your bullet itself, that's the, the munition, um, that goes into... Uh, Casing, which is made up of the casing, the primer, I believe, is what it's called, uh, which is the, the ignition cap, which is mm. what kind of acts as what the flash pan is. That's where the hammer will strike. Well, it literally is ign- what the flash ignition. pan is. And instead of having like the touch hole, it's got that little, uh, the little like round circly yeah. bit at the ba- at the very back of the bullet. That's like where the hammer hits to ignite it. Yeah, and then that goes in. That ignites the powder that's in the shell. Mm. Mm. And that's all it is. It's a lot more stable um, too, because you can set up a thing that will only, uh, as long as the bullet isn't like too damaged, will only 
uh, have those things touch each other yeah. when the force of the hammer knocks them like out of place. Yeah, it's a lot more stable. That being said, there here are some ways that they can fuck up, which is uh, so a case head separation, which is where the cartridge just splits in two. Um, this is ha- this happens more so when a cartridge has been reloaded a couple of times. So if you've loaded it, unloaded it, loaded, unloaded it, um, there it can wear down the the connection of where the bullet is from the casing. Mm-hmm. And so instead of it firing the bullet, it can just split open, which obstructs your barrel. And if you try and fire again or um, do anything too fancy, it can ruin your barrel. Mm. It's like when my cats are at the door and they keep coming in and out and I keep having to get up to shut the door behind them and I split in two. (laughs) So then potentially you can have a, a dud, which as it sounds is when the primer goes off, if the, the ignition cap goes off, but the, ammo itself doesn't the powder itself doesn't go off (laughs) um, which basically is a huge problem because it could be a a delayed ignition Uh, it could potentially just go off at any moment you've got to deal with it real carefully and you just don't know until eventually it's got to the point where it's so unlikely that it's a late ignition that you can safely deal with it god yeah so you really just have to kind of put the gun down for yeah, for a while. It's you like it's like it's like when my put fo- your faith in a higher power for a second. <laughs> <laughs> so then there's a hang fire, which is what happens uh, if a dud isn't really a dud. That's where the ignition cap goes off, but it does actually go off later. Um, and these kill people. These kill people a lot. Um, that's where people. If people go to unload it, it can just pop. Um, or if you're smart and you hold on to the hold on to the gun for a sec, it can actually fire properly just later than you expected. Guns are so fucking dumb. That's yep. so stupid. Why would? Why is that what we do war with? That's so dumb. And then there's squibs, which are when not even the ignition cap goes off. It just doesn't do anything. Dude, imagine, fucking imagine if like swords pulled this bullshit. If you like went to swing a sword at someone and you hit and you like hit them, you did all the sword things. Your sword's in perfect condition and you swing and you hit him with the sword and it just doesn't cut him. And it's just like, fuck, I guess, I guess swords just do that sometimes. Or it cuts them, but like a little bit after you swung at them, like some weird video game lag. Or, or like you go to swing it, you fucking, it's, it's literally... Some of these things are literally like if you went to go swing at someone and instead of the injury appearing on them, it just like cut you open instead. And it's like, but yeah. fucking hit him. Yeah. But, and that's guns. Yep. And so that's, that's misfires for you. Those are different ways that your gun can fuck right up. Um, yeah. Also, I mentioned that um, moisture in your powder can cause sulfuric acid, which means it can eat away the inside of your gun barrel. Um yeah, that also causes the barrel to explode if you oh, that's good. fire if you uh, load your weapon incorrectly. That's Not good. so much with modern cartridges, but definitely if you're muzzle loading or if you're loading with just regular black powder. Black powder. That's really fun. That's yeah. really fun. Um, but yeah, then there's uh, look. I think it's worth saying somewhere here. It is really impractical to have realistic guns in your setting because let's face it, a gun any any time up until probably about 60, 70 years ago, could only fire, or maybe 100 years ago, could only really fire three, four times a minute. Um, when you're dealing with D&D, you've got 10 rounds a minute. Somebody can, a fighter can swing a sword at you 40 times in that period of time. Actually, two action surges, 48 times in that minute. Yeah, old-timey guns really only won out in the fights because the people that were shooting them were really far away. Yeah, so essentially what you've got to do is you've got to balance these, thing- these things, make them a little less deadly when they do hit, but also make them a little quicker to reload and a little easier to hit. Um, and you can balance some of these things out by doing things like fun misfire stuff or taking an action to reload or you know stuff like that. Realistically, though... A lot of this stuff is just going to detract if you try and do it as per realism, um, and it's a fantasy world. Do do what you want. Have have different advances at different times. Come up with magic solutions. It you can do what you want. It's it's an imaginary game. 
You're playing pretend. <laughs> yeah, like, as much as guns were a really... Uh, well, obviously, uh, like, a revolutionary technology... Man, they're fucked. The, yeah, the, and the use of them wouldn't would have just been stressful and frustrating and difficult. Like, yeah, it makes sense if everyone you're fighting only has a sword so you can shoot at them a bunch before they run over to you. But in any other situation... <laughs> Like, guns back then were just fucking dumb. Yeah. Could you imagine being, like, a middle-aged guy when guns start coming in? You're like, kids these days don't know how to swing a sword. All they do is shoot guns and blow themselves up. But honestly, you were... There is no other weapon as likely to damage its user. Yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy. Like, even munitions, you, you... Like, explosives. You just get them away from you and... You're fine. Yeah, f- just get just get a big fuse. We worked that one out ages ago. We got that one on lock. Morgan Phillips, and I'm a human. And I'm Isabella Vallette, and I'm also a human. But I was raised by fairies, and now I'm taking my human friend Morgan in to meet all of the mythological creatures that I know. Every Sunday, we meet a new mythological creature and interview them about their life in a modern-day context. Such as... The Night King from Game of Thrones. Funicular, the friendly vampire brother of Dracula. We've met the Loch Ness Monster. Santa. The Volpertinger. The Devil. And a Mermaid. And many more. We release all our interviews as a podcast called Off of the Fairies, where we interview a new mythological creature every week living in a modern day world. Come join us. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 